If you would turn to 1 Peter with me as we continue in our series in this small but profound and powerful letter that Peter has written. Read along with me, if you would, chapter 1, beginning in verse 22 to the end of the chapter. Peter writes, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly and from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Father, thank you for the word preached to us. That we can sit here this morning and engage your words and by your spirit understand them and be transformed by them. Lord, we pray that you would speak through your word this morning and glorify your name this morning and shepherd your church this morning as you speak. May your people be encouraged and refreshed and strengthened. May your name be honored in all that we do and all that we say and all that we think. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. In the opening chapters of Genesis, God, in great delight, creates the heavens and the earth. But his crowning achievement, and with even greater delight, he creates us. He creates mankind. His delight in us, God's delight in us, didn't begin when, after we were created. His delight in us actually began before we were created. In Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, he says, Paul writes, In love he predestined us for adoption. God's delight and love for us was before he even created us. He, he loved us even before we took our first breath. His great delight and love for his creation, particularly for you and me, was seen first off as he walked in the garden having intimate fellowship with Adam and Eve. But his delight in this relationship was crushed when Adam and Eve tragically sinned. But that did not stop God. It did not deter his love for them, and it did not deter, it does not deter his love for us because God's love has absolutely no boundaries, no boundaries at all. And God expresses his love after the garden by demonstrating through the sending of his own son, Jesus Christ, into the world to fix what we broke, to restore 
what seemed to be unrestorable, to do something that we could never do, atone for sin. And so he sends Jesus through his perfect life and through his sacrificial death and through his glorious resurrection, he restores this broken relationship that was once so intimate and once so the delight of a God. And he delights in us once again through his son, Jesus Christ. And he drenches us in his saving grace. Through the work of Jesus, he, he drenches us in grace that we might become his children and he becomes our father and we experience the grace of this loving and faithful God. And in the first 21 verses, of First Peter, Peter teaches us about this marvelous grace and its effect upon our lives and our relationship with God the Father. And now in these next four verses, he concludes by continuing a description of our life in Christ, but in relationship to one another. Our new life is not lived in a solitary relationship with God but in a community, in a community and a family setting, a place that calls us to mutual affection and love for one another as members of God's family. In verse 22, Peter writes, having purified yourselves, having purified your souls. He looks back on how we became members of God's family when we believed the gospel, when we went from, from death to life, from enemies of God to children of God. And his grace, his grace has changed us. We, we're not the same people. As, as Christians, we, we now live a life that is different than the one we used to live, where we're not, we're not looking to ourselves first, but we look first to the interest of others, which is unnatural to us. And this grace, this marvelous grace, has reshaped our hearts, has given us new hearts to look out for the good of others around us. And that, that good is, is worked out in the life of a family a church family, that the old way of life, the way we used to act, the way we used to think, who and what we used to love or worship, all those things have been, been turned around. We don't live for ourselves anymore, as my friends. That's not who we are. We live to honor Him, and we live to obey Him. We live to serve Him. We live to glorify Him. And, and that, is, that is most often done right here. Right here. Right here at Grace Church. Right here in the family. And now to those, and so Peter's right, to those who have been changed by the gospel, Peter has this urgent command, having been purified by the gospel, Having, been, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, which is the gospel, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is his urgent command. Love one another urgently, earnestly from a pure heart. 
the love we have for other Christians, the love we have for, in particular, those who are members of Grace Church, the men and women that are sitting here and that are a part of this church, this family of God, is, is to be the primary evidence that grace has truly changed us, that, that we are genuinely different people, that the love we express for each other actually comes to life among us. Listen, in the hostile world that we, we live in, and, and th- these ancient Christians lived in a hostile world. They were surrounded by enemies of the gospel, and they were living under the threat of persecution and death. This command has great meaning. And it carried with it a great sense of urgency, which is an urgency relevant to us as well because we need each other. These men and women needed each other in this hostile world that they were living in. And Peter knows that. And Peter then urgently, urgently says to them, listen, love one another because you're not going to experience it anywhere else. Not in the hostile world. And so the main, the main idea of this passage this, and my message this morning is simply, it's from 1 John 4.19 where John writes, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And that is what he is saying here. Love one another. Love in the midst of this, this family that you are part of. Love one another another. Now, love, love carries many meanings. It's used in so many different ways. I love my, I love golf. I love ice cream. I love my friends. I love my wife. I love my children. It has, it's had its meaning diluted by its misuse. It's had its meaning hijacked by Hollywood and, and romance novels to where love only means intense feelings that are fleeting and don't last very long. John Denver, who is a folk singer back in the 70s and and 80s, in the 70s, he wrote a song called Annie's Song. It was a number one hit. It was a song that he wrote about his love for his wife, Annie. It was a wonderful, wonderful song. And I remember recently watching a John Denver special on PBS, and He's asked about that song and his response, because he later divorced Annie, who he wrote this wonderful song about, he said this, I wrote that song from the love I felt at the time. A fleeting love. In 1971, love was divined on a television commercial that showed hundreds of people from different walks of life, different ethnicities, ages, professions, holding hands and singing. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow-white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. (laughs) I'd like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company. It's the real thing. Yeah. And so what the commercial taught us, they just aged themselves is what they did. (laughs) Holding hands, 
singing in perfect harmony, and drinking a Coke is love. <laughs> That's what the definition of love is in 1971. But Peter's definition comes not from a Coke, but from the precious blood of Christ that died for us and the marvelous grace that has richly been poured out upon us by the gospel. Peter speaks of a love that is birthed in the gospel, the gospel truth, when we were born again, having purified your souls by your obedience, your response to the truth, to the gospel. You, you have been born again. You have been purified. You're, you've obeyed. You've responded to the gospel. It has, it has changed your life. And that is, that is the basis of your ability to love one another. We love because he first loved us. It's a love that desires the highest good for those we love, even when we do it at our own expense. So three main points this morning. The exhortation to love one another, the quality of our love for one another, and the inspiration behind our love for one another. The first, the exhortation to love one another. Peter's exhortation to love one another doesn't come out of nowhere. In a world that by and large in his day and age hates Jesus, hates the gospel, and hates these people, it is also relevant to us because we live in a world that by and large hates Jesus, hates his gospel, and hates those who follow after him. It is critical, Peter is saying, for us to, to stand together as a family of believers. I have a, a, a walking route that I go through Urbana District Park. It's a, it's a, it's a five-mile route I walk every day, and on occasion I have been caught in, in thunderstorms out there. And thankfully, at Urbana District Park, there's these shelters. And so I run, and in the storms, I'm sitting under those shelters until it either stops raining or I call Marilyn and she comes and gets me, <laughs> which has happened. It's great to have a shelter in a storm. And Peter's, Peter's idea is this, love one another, because this, this body of believers, this group of people, these, these folks that are sitting right next to you, they are a shelter in a storm in the world that does hate Christ, that does hate the gospel, that's hostile to your being a follower of Christ. Now, God is our refuge. We don't live in isolation. We live here together. And so having been purified by your obedience to the truth, in other words, for having responded to the gospel, you are to love one another. You were, once you were total strangers. You came from different backgrounds, different ideas, different likes, different dislikes. And in spite of that, Peter exhorts us love one another, likable or unlikable. <laughs> love each other, period. Listen, <laughs> you, if you're, if you're truly honest, you will admit you don't get along with actually everybody in Grace Church. And you don't find everybody as likable as others in Grace Church. 
and they don't find you as likable. That's the reality. All these people, though, are a part of your family now. The love you're to have for them says, listen, I'm here for you. Don't worry, I've got your back. That is the exhortation to love one another. And and Peter begins his exhortation by describing the effect the gospel has had upon us in in our new family, the church. God's saving grace is supposed to change the way we view people and treat people, particularly one another, other Christians. Our our love for each other is to be sincere, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Now, the word sincere comes from the Greek, means sin, Sarah, which means without wax. Back in those days when they would build like busts of Caesar or whoever, if someone so knocked a bust off onto the floor and it cracked and, and Caesar's big nose was busted off, take it to the back room and they'd put a little wax and make a new nose and then then they would paint it over and then they'd sell it as the real deal. But it wasn't. It was not without wax. It was false. Actors used to put on faces. That's where this idea of, and that's where Peter's thinking of sincere. In other words, there's hypocrisy. And so Peter is saying, listen, you are to love one another without hypocrisy. You are to love one another and mean it. So when you show up on a Sunday morning and, and you go to somebody and say, how you're doing? And they say, well, I'm not, I'm not doing well at all. And you shake their hand and say, well, I'll pray for you. And you walk away. That's not sincerity. What's going on in your heart? How do you really feel about that person? And this is a love that is not rooted in hypocrisy with a mask that, that we really do genuinely love and care for one another. And there must be a reality behind our love. Do, do you love the people in this room, in this church? Do you genuinely, sincerely, without wax, love them? Do, do you do you? Avoid talking to certain people on Sunday morning. Are there certain people here who, who just make you uncomfortable? They're, they're different. They're, they're a bit weird. Um, they, have, they have different quirks. Um, they don't make you comfortable. How do you relate to them? Do you invite them into your home? Show them hospitality? Do you sit at the end of the picnic table at the picnic while they're at the other end? How do, you, how do you relate to the people that are just different than you? Listen, when I, when I believed the gospel, I was immediately joined to God's family. Suddenly, I've got this new family around me. And just like my own natural family, I didn't choose you. but I am to love you with a brotherly love, a family love. Listen, I I am not supposed to love you like you're my brother and sister. I'm supposed to love you because you are my brother and sister. Huge difference. 
huge difference. I don't, I don't love you because there's something attractive about you. I love you because I'm attracted to God in you. Having you, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, I love you as well because Christ is in you. I love you with a pure and with a sincere love. This this brotherly love, this Philadelphia, it's a special love that only Christians can enjoy with other Christians. It doesn't happen outside of the family of God. Our, our family may not always be pretty, but it's our family. So Peter, Peter says, listen, you've been, you've been joined together. You've been brought together. Here's the exhortation. Love one another. Love one another. Having been born again, having had the gospel transform you, love one another from a sincere, brotherly love. That's the first point. Second point is the quality of our love for one another. Peter describes two qualities that define how we are to love one another. In verse 22, he says, love one another earnestly earnestly from a pure heart. The NASB uses the word fervently rather than earnestly, and the NIV uses deeply to describe the quality of our love, earnest and fervent and deep. These are attributes that make our love for for one another genuine. Our, Our love's sincerity is proven by our fervency is proven by our earnestness, is proven by the depth of our love for one another. It's, it's to far exceed this idea of, of emotions, of love that come and go. It's about commitment. The earnest love we have for one another is based on this commitment of obedience to God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. We are obedient to God. We are obedient to the truth. We, we live for God, and in that obedience, we love one another. We are committed to one another. Our love isn't based on our emotions. Emotions come and go. Emotions change. Emotions are different. Somebody offends you, you're angry with them. So do you stop loving them? And one of the greatest temptations in marriage when you have, when I have a conflict with Marilyn is to distance myself from her. I just want to go in another room or I just want to go for a walk or I'm just going to turn on the television and ignore and, and act as though Marilyn does not exist. I assassinate her. I pretend she's not there anymore. I'm angry. And so love is, is not expressed. And that's what, that's what Peter's after here. Love one another. And the quality of that love is, first and foremost, it is earnest. It is fervent. It is deep. And it overcomes every emotion that you have because it's grounded in commitment. And we saw that in the Savior. We saw that in Jesus He experienced numerous emotions. He experienced numerous rejections. He experienced numerous ridicule. He experienced mockery. He experienced hate. He experienced suffering. He experienced death on a cross. He experienced the worst. And yet 
He continued to love earnestly, fervently, deeply. He did not distance himself from us. He did not act as though we were no longer alive. But his love was earnest. In fact, in John 13, 34, Jesus gives us this command. He says, a new commandment I give to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. The love we have for each other is not about what someone is like. It's not rooted in the quality of the person that we love. Think if God loved us based on the quality of who we were, we would not experience any love at all. No, no, our love isn't based on that. If this were true, we would only love those who we like or those who are like us, those we find lovable, those we enjoy being with. And those we find different, and those we find strange, and those we find challenging, we wouldn't love them. Listen, Jesus did not love us because we were so lovable. Jesus loved us not from a reluctant obedience to the Father, but simply because he is love. He is love. And that love was demonstrated by his sacrifice on the cross out of love he came to earth. Out of love, he suffered. Out of love, he died on a cross. Out of love, he rose from the dead. Out of love, he ascended to heaven and intercedes moment by moment on our behalf before the throne of God. And out of love, he will return one day. Love that is earnest is love that sacrifices, that is, that is stretched beyond its, on its lim- beyond its limits. We get stretched at times loving one another. Stretched. When I was a kid, again, get going back to the 60s now, there was, this, there was this candy bar. It was called Bonomo Turkish Taffy. Does anybody remember Bonomo Turkish Taffy? Of course, yes. Thank you, Patrick Boleyn. And, and you would take it out of the package and you wouldn't just bite into it. You'd stretch it and you could just stretch it. And I mean, you could, I, you could get it eight to nine feet long. You could stretch it. That's like the world's biggest candy bar. Bonomo Turkish taffy stretch. And that's, that's what Peter is trying to express to us here. We are being stretched when we love one another. We are being stretched when we sacrifice for one another. We are being stretched in our earnest love. We're on the stretch, as they would say in the UK, right? Yes. And then Peter says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. As Peter has told us just a few verses earlier, it is the precious blood of Christ that has cleansed us and made us holy and made us righteous and made us pure. Oh, that precious blood. That's what gives us the ability to love with a pure heart. Our hearts are no longer dead, but alive in him. And now with this new life, we can love with a purity and truth that we were totally incapable of prior to coming to faith in Christ. So 
Peter, Peter simply says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So, so there's this exhortation to love, and then there's the qualities that we're to have when we love one another. And then thirdly, there's the inspiration of our love. What, what inspires this love? Peter, Peter can never exhort us to, to this command to love one another without first something happening to us. Something powerful and supernatural, something only God himself could accomplish. How is it possible? Think about this. How is it possible to love one another? People invade your world. They, they do things differently. They, they, tweak, they tweak you. They, they, they push buttons that you didn't even know you had buttons to have. They, they just be married a day. Just have a child for 30 minutes. No, no, no. The toilet paper roll goes this way, not that way. Well, that's how we did it in my family. Well, that's not how we did it in my family. And I'm the head of the home, and this is my family now, and so we're going to do it this way. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no. We find the differences can be the cause of great conflict among us. It's why we needed to be changed. Listen, it's possible to love one another because of God's empowering grace in the new birth. He goes on in verse 23. Listen, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. That's the inspiration behind your ability to love one another because you have been born again. Otherwise, we would have no motivation to love others. But, but God's grace now empowers us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in, in verse 23 he, and 24, he goes on to say, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Listen, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. In other words, listen, your, your life is, is like grass. I've said this time and time again, you have term limits. At some point in this lifetime of yours, you will die. You are done. You are, you are from perishable seed. Okay, I, I am of French, German, Austrian, Russian, Polish, and who knows what else, seed. I am, I am just somewhere all over Europe. Is my, is my family. I don't know. I mean, that, that is who I am. But that, that's, that's perishable seed. That's the seed, the natural seed that runs through my veins. But it's perishable. It, it, it's going to die. My, listen, my athletic ability, my good athletic ability, my good looks, um, the possessions I have, they're all going to fade away like flower of grass. That flower will fall. In fact, this face is falling daily. It is, that flower is going to fall. But the gospel, God's grace in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling in me is the imperishable seed that is eternal. 
I, I don't share your seed in the natural, but in Christ, I share the exact nature with you and you with me. It's an abiding seed that came by the way of God's word. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So you have been changed. It is the gospel, the word of God that has changed you. And that's the inspiration behind your ability to love one another. And brothers and sisters, let me be real clear. If we do not love one another here in Grace Church, we will not survive. This, this church will crumble from within, not from without, not from the hostility of the world around us. We will crumble from within if we do not love one another. In our differences, in our, in our dis- dislikability, in our likability, we will crumble from within if we do not love one another. But God has told us that the love that has been shed abroad in our hearts by Christ, the love we love because he first loved us, that love dwells in us. That love is eternal. That love is abiding. That love has been given to us through the gospel. That love is the love we are to love one another with. And it will not fade if we do not let it fade. If we are earnest and sincere in our love. My, my new life in Christ, it's, imper- it's imperishable. It's, yours is imperishable because it began in the living and abiding word of God. It began in the gospel. It's the enduring nature of God's grace in your life, the grace that will never run out, grace. I mean, at the beginning, Peter of his letter in verse two says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. God's grace is to be multiplied to you. It is that grace, that gospel grace, the word, the abiding word that lives in you, that has transformed you, that has changed you, and you can now, you can love earnestly, and you can love sincerely, and you can love purely. The men and women sitting beside you in this church. So what is our application? Again, Peter does not exhort us to love one another like a sister or brother, but because We are brothers and sisters. The love we have for each other, the love we should have for each other, it it makes a statement. It has has an impact. It it affects, and it affects two different groups of people, Christians and non-Christians. Because the gospel has changed us, we're not the same people we used to be. And that change gets noticed. People, people see the way we live. Each of us has a radically changed relationship to God now. We have a radically changed relationship to fellow believers. And we have a radically changed relationship to the world because we're not like the world anymore. And that radical change is, is going to be seen by the way we love or do not love one another. So our, our love for one another impacts other believers. Today, today, what you're experiencing here at Grace Church, not just this morning, but when you're together in care group, when you're together at a picnic, when you're together just during the week and hanging out together, that, that love, that experience, that relationship, that family life is just a foretaste of our eternity together. We're, you're stuck with me. 
you're stuck with me. You're stuck with me. Now, eventually, when I get old, and I'm not old now, but when I get old, <laughs> Devin is leading this church, and I'm somewhere in a pine box, and you think, ah, I'm not stuck with him anymore. Oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> These messages have been recorded. You're going to get stuck with that. I'm going to have somebody play them every so often. <laughs> Alexa, play Larry Malament. <laughs> now, you're going to see me in heaven. And I'm going to sidle up to you. Miss me? <laughs> we are stuck with each other forever. You've got me in your life with all my quirks right now. My dislike of cheese, my dislike of dark meat chicken, my dislike of pork, my dislike of hockey, my dislike of Downton Abbey, my dislike of cold weather. I won't like those things in heaven either, just so you're aware. I, but I'm also stuck with you and your quirky little habits. And that's okay. Listen, if we do not love one another sincerely and earnestly from the pure heart, we are disobeying God. Remember what Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. It's, this is Christ's commandment. This is not Peter's commandment. Love one another. Listen, Jesus, let me tell you why you're supposed to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus died for the person sitting next to you. He came and he gave his life that he might call them his brother or sister. We love one another because Jesus loved, loves them and made them a part of this family. And he bore their guilt and he bore their shame so he could call them sister and brother. as he did for you and me. Listen, it's, it's not what folks around me are by nature, but who they are by grace that I'm attracted to them because I see Christ in them. Jesus loves them, so must I. That's the impact it has on other believers. The, but our love impacts unbelievers. In John 13, 35, right after Jesus gives this command to love one another, he gives them the reason for the command. He says, love one another as I have loved you. And then he says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Listen, the gospel saved me. But crucial to my coming to faith in Christ was because of the love I saw people had for one another at this big Bible study called TAG 30 some odd years ago, 40 years ago. It was stunning to me. And I did wonder if it was real. I thought, ah. But these folks cared for me the same way they cared for one another. I saw love in a way I had never seen it before, and God used it to bring me to a place where I believe the gospel. After becoming a Christian, I began to understand grace and love. And Paul, Paul tells us that, that 
When, when we respond to the gospel, God, God pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And, and that love, that love is to make a statement to those who do not know that love. By, the, all, by this, by your love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. So as you sit here today, maybe this love, particularly speaking to those of you who do not know Christ, this love that Peter speaks of is something you've yet to experience. It's because you're not in God's family. The Bible tells us that if we believe the good news, if we believe this gospel that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins, and if we put our our trust and faith in him, that we believe that he died for our sins, we'll be joined to this family. Don't, Don't let another moment go by where you are an orphan. And that is what you are. You're an orphan. You're living in a world alone and by yourself. But this good news, this gospel, this gospel promises, promises a family and a love rooted in the grace of Christ. Peter says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Brothers and sisters, that word is good news. Father, thank you for the good news. Thank you for the good news that has transformed our hearts from being wicked and hate-filled and selfish to a heart that is loving and God-glorifying, a heart that seeks out good rather than evil, a heart that loves rather than hates. Lord, oh, may, may... May you transform those in this room who do not know you. Lord, may their eyes be opened to the saving grace that you offer in Christ. And for those who who do know you, Lord, may may this, this wonderful grace, this saving grace, just expand the love in their hearts they already have. For the good of this church and for the glory of your name. 